Great teams have what? Great teams have what? Talented players, great leadership, you said, a clear game plan, usually enormous amounts of discipline, mutual respect between players and coaches, a team that's out for the team and not for personal glory. Sometimes it can win great games on the back of one person, but not championships and surely not consistently. It takes team unity and takes great coaching. Uh, it's, it, it's just kind of fun these days living in L.A. when I can use these illustrations. You know, the Dodgers and now the Rams. Have you noticed? How many games have the Rams lost? Oh, none. Anyway, eight and zero. Um, yeah, we're, we're hoping the Packers get their act together because they're actually my favorite team, but the Rams are close second. I wonder how that happened. Anyway, but, you know, great leadership, good coaching. This coach, guess how old he is, the coach of this Rams? He's 31 years old. He's a young guy, but boy, he knows football. And he's able to pull a team of guys together and get them focused on one aim, one goal, how to win football games, how to basically execute your role when you're on the football team, how to encourage other guys when you're not on the team or on the field, and they are. And it's, it's been pretty, pretty fun to witness. You know what's even more fun to witness than that? When we look at what Jesus did with the 12 disciples, when we see the kind of guys that he grabbed these very common men, most of them fishermen, right? And he brings them together and he trains them up to be world influencers, impactors by the power of the Holy Spirit. They became incredible leaders and founders of God's church. They laid this foundation that Christ can come into a person's life and forgive them and give them life abundant and eternal. And of course, Christ, the ultimate leader. And we're going to be looking today, uh, really getting near the end of this book in 1 Thessalonians, right? We've been marching through passage by passage, and now we're getting near the end in uh, chapter 5. And we're just going to look on a few verses. Last week, we covered a lot of verses on the coming of the, of the Lord, the day of the Lord. So if you missed that, you can pick that up online. That'll encourage you and give you incredible hope. Because the Lord could return at any moment. But now he shifts his focus to this idea of how do you treat leaders in, in, your, in your body and how do you treat one another and then how do you treat people outside? And he picked up some of those themes as he's gone through the book, but he now he kind of solidifies them and he kind of punches them out very directly in just a few words. So I'm not going to add to them. We're just going to look at a few verses and we're going to understand how to treat leaders, how to treat one another, and what to do in a world that's actually full of evil and sin. So first of all, esteem your leaders in love. First Thessalonians, starting in chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So if you were to pick out just a couple of these key words here, respect means to recognize respect and recognize those who labor in love to lead you, to admonish you, to, to help you grow. To esteem means to honor. So if we were to put those together, to recognize, honor, lift up, esteem them highly in love, we'd have the right idea. Now this isn't to say that any of the leaders there in the church in Thessalonica or the leaders here in this church or leaders anywhere in any of God's churches are perfect, right? But he is saying because if God has put them in that role, and because they're living a life to love and lead and teach you for your benefit, and they should or they shouldn't be in the role, then 
it's your role, it's your calling to esteem them highly in love. They're doing it for your benefit. They're doing it so that you can grow to understand more of Christ and enjoy his presence and his power and his wisdom in your life so that the blessings of God can become your reality. So even if your hardest times, and you may be going through your hardest period right now in your life, that then, and really especially then, you find his power to be perfect in your weakness, one of the great blessings of God. And then all of his provision and all of his wisdom and all of that, you just go, this is what good leaders are supposed to help all the body of Christ understand, know about, and chiefly to experience. That's why you would recognize or honor or esteem, respect them, esteem them highly in love. And he says, you know, be at peace with one another. Because oftentimes what happens when you don't respect leaders or follow their lead, it creates chaos in the body or any kind of ministry or group of believers around the world. So those leaders are accountable to God. So that, that's a very, very humbling role to be in. And you shouldn't take that lightly. And none of us do here at this church. And then the followers come along, the rest of the body comes along and says, okay, so if you're in the role of leading, we're going to pray for you. We're going we're to uh, esteem you highly in love. We're going to love you because your role is to help us all become more like Christ, even as you're wanting to become more like Christ. Even as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. All leaders and teachers of the word in any setting need to be able to say that. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect, but Jesus is. So quickly look past me. Learn what you can, but go right to Jesus. He's the ultimate leader, the ultimate example. I try to model as much as I can of what he's like, and I'm still in process. And every leader should be able to say that. But look to Jesus. But also we have other leaders among us with, you know, bones and flesh and voices and gifts that we can learn from. And that's what he's saying is that that brings about peace. That brings about harmony. But be at peace. That's a command. Be at peace. Do things that create harmony. Now, if I interviewed any one of you and asked you for your preferences, your opinions, and your convictions, you would be very different than the person sitting next to you. Even if you're married, your convictions, your preferences right, your opinions on things. How in the world is a church this size supposed to get along with one another and actually have harmony? How's that possible? We're so different personality-wise, maybe different culturally, have different backgrounds, maybe different goals in life, surely different opinions. Some people hate the Rams, even though they live in LA. I don't get that, but okay, but how do we get along? Well, we have to realize that there's a greater goal, a greater good than just me getting things my way, having things my preference, my conviction, my desire. It's the greater good of, but Lord, what would be good for your church? This would actually protect the peace, the spirit of unity and the bond of peace among us. So I think I'll do that. And the Holy Spirit will always want you to do that. Doesn't mean that you give, give up on your convictions, your opinions, your preferences, but you hold, you hold those loosely. Convictions and the word surely hold on to those tightly, but you know, Beyond that, you know, just to be able to give grace for preferences and differences and all that brings about this harmony in the body of Christ that he's talking about. Leaders have to model that. And then everyone else gives that to them as well as to everyone else. Be at peace. Keep the peace. Cultivate this harmony, this teamwork. How easy is that? Amongst two people, how easy is it? Is it easy in your marriage to keep harmony? Yes or no? 
Does it take work? Does it take the best of who you are? Yes or no? I think if, if it isn't taking the best of who you are, you haven't been given all to your marriage. Marriage is 100%. You go 100% their direction. They go 100% your direction in love and service, and you have 100% overlap, and that's great. But then you'll find out where the differences are. But because you're loving them, not halfway to see if they'll return the love halfway, and you kind of bargain and barter it out, you just keep loving them to create this harmony. You keep giving peace even when there's tension. You aim at the higher good for your marriage. Well, then multiply that out times multiple members of this large family, and you can see why this is a challenge and why Paul wanted these Thessalonians to really get this. They had to get it because there was a witness going out to the whole community that in Christ, there can be harmony and can be peace. It can actually be a supernatural type of gathering with people. And that's exactly what we're called into now in our day, to be a supernaturally harmonious people where you and me and the rest of us, we put our preferences, our differences, opinions, even the things that we'd say, no, but I have a right to that. In Christ, you can put your rights aside because when you fight for your rights, you're wrong. Ever heard that? You're fighting for your rights, you've become wrong. And you might win the argument, win the day and all this, but you're wrong and you just destroyed you know, that, that day with your, your spouse or with your kids or with someone else. So when we fight for that and we destroy others, we're wrong. We can release our rights and become servants and honor one another above ourselves. We see in Hebrews 3.17 the same idea about coming alongside leaders and bringing harmony and submitting to them. Hebrews 13.17 and then in Galatians 6.6, 6, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Leaders can lead with joy or leaders can lead with groaning. Which would you prefer? <laughs> leaders can lead with joy or they can lead with groaning. And a lot of that is dependent and determined by you guys. Is that interesting? You might think like, no, no, no. The leader just has to keep getting better. But the tricky thing is, better by whose definition? Mine. They didn't do it this way. I like this better. They should be this. They should be more outgoing. Why are they so outgoing? They should be more this. They should, they should be more aggressive and pound the podium. It's just like, why does he ever do that? Why isn't he funnier? More jokes. You know, people like to laugh. Less jokes. What are you doing? This is serious. It's the Bible. Can you see how everyone could look at any particular leader in a Bible study or in a church or an elder, a pastor, or even a mentor and go, oh, well, I could pick them apart. I could show them how they'd be a better leader. And it would usually be according to your expectation alone. So we've got to be careful that our number one thing with leaders is to obey and submit to them. As they are following Christ, you would never obey and submit to something that's not biblical. And Paul is not advocating that, and neither am I. Leaders called by God are charged with an incredible responsibility to watch over the souls of those people in their charge, to shepherd them as Jesus would shepherd them and always be looking to Jesus in his leadership style and his scripture, right? And then as followers, you go, okay, I need to pray that they continue to shepherd like Jesus, but I'm going to get alongside them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to follow them. I'm not going to fight them. I'm not going to, I don't want their leadership role to be a frustration. They can lead from joy or frustration. I want to make sure they're leading out of joy. 
I can tell you honestly, in this church, I lead out of joy. I love you guys. I love this church. I love what God's doing here. Um, so thank you. Thanks for being a blessing to me so that I can more be a blessing. But that's a high calling, and that has to be all of us agreeing that way, right? Because he's calling the whole church to these things. It wouldn't be any advantage to not have leaders lead in joy. It wouldn't be an advantage to you or anyone else in the church. So let's make their role easy by following them, following them well. Acts 17, we have the Bereans. Paul kind of calls them out and he says they were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica because they took what he said and they looked into the scriptures. You would always take what I would say or any leaders and you would compare it to the what? To the scriptures. You would always do that. How do cults start? How do people get off into kind of weird false religions. They don't challenge the leader. They just assume, well, he's a nice guy or he's charismatic or he's this or he's that. And you just assume, well, he, he, of course he's going to always say the right thing and be truthful. No. He might be mistaken. He might be passionate, but he may be passionately wrong. He may be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. <laughs> you have to take what he says and compare it to the word. Always. The Bereans were more of were of more noble character because they did that. They wanted to see if Paul, what Paul said was really true. Was it biblical? Galatians 6.6 6 also adds this. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So Paul says here, if, any, if someone teaches you God's principles, you know, which is blessing you in your life and really for eternity, then show them your love and your appreciation. This might be a friend who's mentored you or shown you the scriptures more clearly could be a pastor, could be a Bible study leader or a life group leader. And I'm glad that he didn't like just delineate what that looks like, like it's a have-to list. It's just, if someone's teaching the word of God, share all good things with them because they're sharing the best stuff with you, which is God's eternal word that benefits you in your life, not only that day, but the rest of your life if you hold on to the principles they're teaching you. It follows you into all eternity. So yeah, share the other good things, but that's the best thing. Share other good things in your life with those that, that teach. So esteem your leaders highly in love. Okay, so when that starts, when that's the foundation, he's telling this church, you really want to have a strong church that continues to have this impact of faith, love, and hope. Remember we saw that in the first chapter, in the third chapter, where it's just like more and more. He kept saying that, just more and more. If you want it to be a church, more and more, then make sure you esteem your leaders highly in love. And then for amongst one another, and this includes everyone, encourage, help, and be patient with others. That's the next verse, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Life has a way of getting hard and heavy, doesn't it? We need to be there for each other. You've discovered that in good friendships. You've discovered that when your marriage is in the best place is you're looking for ways. You're, look, you're actually on the lookout for ways to be there for each other. You're not waiting for a catastrophe going like, oh, geez, I got myself into trouble again. You're looking for ways to reach out and serve and encourage them, right? You're looking for ways that you can serve them because life is hard and heavy and you may not know what they're dealing with, but when you find out or you sense there's something going on, we step up. That's what we're called to do. And he gives a couple examples. Admonish the idol. Admonish means 
to caution or reprove gently or to exhort or to warn. Anyone can get spiritually sluggish, right? You ever been spiritually sluggish? Just don't have a lot of energy to pursue things of God. You're just kind of distracted. Maybe you're just discouraged by what's going on in life. And you don't have this energy. Just, the passion's just not flowing out of you. And we all go through periods like that. But when you're going through this period where God is alive to you and you know what he's doing in your life, you're so grateful for his provision. You're celebrating victories, big victories or little small victories, but you're just excited. Then you look around to admonish someone else who's become idle, someone who's just on the sidelines. It's just like, how you doing? Not, hey, get out here, idiot. No, how you doing? You go over to the sideline. How you doing? How are you? What's going on? You look discouraged today. You look heavy. Is everything okay? And yet you stir them up. You, you show the love of Christ and you, you ask some good questions and you see how they're doing. You might find that there's an opportunity because of something going on in their life to, to really lift them toward obedience in some area. People get discouraged because they fall prey to sin and the enemy in this world. So yeah, there could be some correction in their life, yes. But when you point it out gently or you help them and you say, I'll help you along or I'll pray for you in this and you sacrificially give your, of yourself, you're admonishing the idol. You're gently reproving or bringing caution or exhortation to someone who's maybe stopped walking with the Lord or surely isn't very excited about their walk. And God uses you to lift them and stir them up. When was the last time you were stirred up? Last time, you just felt like someone came along and, and stirred you up and knocked over a cup. You know? I'm just kidding. You know, when was the last time? It's just like it, it, there was action. There was some kind of spiritual ignition going on. You could tell they were excited and, and they might have been able to tell you weren't, but they were trying to include you, trying to help you. Well, you know how that feels. Then just say, God, would you help me to be stirred up often enough that I can help others when they're not? And if we're looking out for each other that way, we're going to be a stronger, a more and more kind of church. And then he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage means to console or comfort. We're supposed to console and comfort the faint-hearted. It's easy to lose your courage. It's so easy these days. I think we're bombarded by, you know, lies and messages and temptations. And it's so easy to just kind of lose the wind in your sail and just feel faint, just tired. Most of the time, people, when you ask how they're doing, oh, just tired, just tired. Yeah, it's like, that's normal. So we can help with the Holy Spirit filling us, right? Filling ourselves. We can then give that, that breath, that statement, that encouragement, that consolation or comfort for their weary heart. Man, it doesn't take long to find out how emotionally weary people are. It doesn't take long if you care. It just doesn't. You can look into someone's eyes and have a real conversation, kind of get to real things, and you realize they're, they're just hurting. They're, they're down. They're, their heart is very faint. It's, it's a discouraging time for them. And you give them an ear, you give them time, you give them prayer, and then you check back in on them, or you invite them to do something, or you just whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Man, that happens to me in this church. It's really cool. 
how you guys will send an email or a text just at the perfect time, and only God would know that. Isn't that the coolest thing? God knows right what you need, what, when you need it, right when you need it. He just knows. And if we're all a church like that, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to everyone in this church, we'll cover everyone else's needs, but we'll do it sacrificially. We won't have to stand you know, on, on some pedestal and say, oh, I'm needy, come help me. We literally are just looking at each other with eyes of love and interest and availability, and we find out where the needs are. Wow, their, their heart is faint right now. I can, I can help. And when your heart's faint, you're going to find people coming alongside you. But we do need to be honest. We do need to be vulnerable and clear. This is hard right now in my life. This is what's going on. If we would stop pretending that we have it all spiritually together, or together in lots of other areas of our life, then it actually becomes this open door for people to go, oh, okay, so you're a real human being with real needs, just like me. And the Holy Spirit then has this avenue to minister to them and you to them. So one of the encouragements I think this morning is, just to be honest, if you're feeling faint-hearted or you're feeling discouraged or you've got a need, let some other people know. And I know some of you are like, oh, golly, man, they're just gonna back the truck up. Boop, 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 and just dump this huge load on you. And you're like, oh, I don't have time for this. It's like they always do that. It's, oh, geez, I can't. And you just kind of say hi and you keep moving because you don't want the dump truck. Okay. So we all have to be careful at times that we want to back the truck up and unload everything. So we should be going to God with our needs. But just be, you be careful of that, that's all. Share one thing. You may have 12. Share one, the big one. Get some prayer for that. Yeah, and then I was brushing my teeth and it just slipped and I hit my gum right here and it's like still aching. Have you ever had that? Yeah, and then it's just like at work and you're like, oh my God, I do not have time for this. I do not have time for this. Okay. Be vulnerable, be real, be sensitive, but share. And you'll find out that people are really ready to minister to you and you to them. Help the weak, that's the next thing. Help the weak. We don't need to find the word help, do I? Okay, help the weak. Weakness visits all of us. When was the last time you were physically sick and very weak? You need help, right? Or just the size of a task. You feel like, man, I, no way I can really do this. I, I, I gotta ask a couple other people if they could jump in and help me on Saturday or next week. Or I got this project at work. Anyone know how to, I don't know this program very well. So yeah, that help is just an, it's just an eyes to see when other people need a little bit of your help. But that comes through the power of the Spirit because most of the time we're busy, we got our own stuff. We're actually looking for everyone to do what? Help us. It's our tendency. We need to just say, Lord, you know, who can I be a help? I've received so much of that now. Who can I be a help? How can I come alongside them and show them the strength of Christ or the encouragement or mercy or compassion of Jesus? Help the weak. I mean, I have so many memories when I went through that spell in the hospital when I had that brain bleed. Uh, and you guys just helped the weak. You helped me. And you prayed for me. And that's really what most of you did. But a lot of, a lot of cards, a lot of love. But prayer was huge. But that's what I'm saying. Just, to, just like, yeah, I'm weak. I got a son going through this right now. Or I got a daughter going through this. Or our marriage is just, or this is going on in our business. Or I got a neighbor. We're just like this. You got to pray for me. Like, I don't even want to see the dude. Like, just. Be real. Get real prayer for real needs and real relationships. And even within the church at times, right? We've got to deal with differences with grace and with mercy and 
tell one person who's spiritually mature to pray for you that you can do in confidence and then go and you make that right with that person. But help the weak. Many hands divide the load. What if all our hands and hearts were involved in helping each other? We would divide the heaviness that makes people feel so weak. And then he says, be patient with all. And I love that he kind of ties this together. So if you're trying to stir up the idol, or you're trying to help the faint-hearted, or you're trying to strengthen and, and help the weak, you think it would require patience? Yeah, yes or no? Oh my goodness. You're helping them and then they do something that, you're like, are you kidding me? I just helped you get out of this ditch and then you drove back in it, right? Emotionally, you went back to that ugly situation. Or you, yeah, you're gonna have to be patient. So I'm gonna ask you a question. Scale of one to 10, you ready? How patient is God with you? 10 being high, one to 10. Okay. <laughs> okay, you go, why, why did you stop at 10? Can we do one to 100? And then I'd say 110. And you go, of course God is very, very patient with you. Are you a slow learner? So am I. I wish I could say I'm a fast learner. I try to be a fast learner. I want to be a faster learner, right? I, I want to obey the things of God. I want to understand them more. But a lot of times I don't. So God's very patient with me. He's, remember, when you're justified, you're made right in Christ. You come to Christ and you're justified. And then this process of sanctification happens where you're growing up to become more and more and more like Christ as the Holy Spirit grows you according to the word of God. And one day then you'll be glorified. But I gave you another word to add into the sanctification. Remember that? Multiplication. Multiplication. You multiply what God's showing you. You've been sanctified in an area. You have some victory over that addiction. Share it with somebody. Be real. Don't like, oh, I don't want to share that. Like I just got victory over that. They wouldn't actually think I'm as cool if I actually share that I just got out of an addiction. I don't know. Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know but they're going to think, they probably just think you're a real person. And then the victory that you shared because you got out of that addiction or that trouble or that sin or that whatever actually becomes your avenue. And they open up and they let their guard down because they, they realize you're not trying to be anybody. You're just talking a lot about what Jesus is doing in you and through you. Not to boast because you're just, you're just the person process. You're under construction. I believe it's a great sign we could wear. Be patient with me. I'm under construction. What if you're feeling too weak to help someone else? What if you're feeling too weak? I got a couple of verses for you. Because I think a lot of us may feel that. Like, Gordy, I, I wish I could like grab onto those and be all excited about wanting to grow in each of those. Helping the weak, the faint-hearted, stirring up the idol. But I, I, I need it. And that's, that's really all of us. But how do, we, how do we receive that from the Lord? A couple of verses that'll encourage you. Isaiah 57, 15 for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Our God, the one who is high, holy, and lifted up, loves to revive people loves to revive people. You're a people, aren't you? <laughs> you qualify. He loves to revive our spirit. Loves when we're feeling contrite and broken and weak to revive us and strengthens us, strengthen us. He loves to do it. Very clear, that's who God is. 
Your spirit's feeling lonely and downcast. Go to him. He will lift you up. He will revive your heart. You just have to be humble and go to him. You know the silly thing that we do sometimes? We get to that point and we just turn inward to ourselves. We actually don't go to God. We don't open his word. We don't get on our knees and cry out. Like, get on your knees and cry out. It's one of the healthiest, quickest ways to feel super connected to the Lord. Get on your knees, get someplace by yourself, and cry out from your heart about how broken you feel or how weak or how needy or the wisdom that you need, whatever it is. The Lord says, yeah, I dwell in a place that's high and holy and lifted up. Yes, but you know where else I dwell? With the person, with the heart of the person, of a person who's willing to humble themselves. Do you want to feel the intimacy and the power and the closeness of God? Then take your lowly spirit to him and humble yourself before him. Matthew 12, 20 says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Jesus said that, quoting Isaiah. When there's barely any strength or any flame, God comes in and he strengthens us and he fans the flame. When you're feeling like you might as well just get snapped, you're bruised. Anyway, you ever see a reed that's hanging on or like you get flowers and like one of the ones like, because it's kind of been bruised already, it's just like this. It's like, it's going to snap and you just kind of, you want to just kind of go like snap, just get rid of it, cut. God doesn't do that with us. We don't get caught and thrown away. When we're in him, he strengthens well, you know that happens with certain flowers. It just reminded me. You know the ones that you get and they have that, the, the green sleeve that goes alongside the flower, along the stem? Because for some reason they tend to droop. Have you noticed that? Anyone get flowers at Traders lately? No? Nobody? No one buys flowers at Traders? $3.99 for a really cool bouquet? Anyway. Don't you love your wives, men? Get to Traders and get some flowers. Anyway. But some flowers tend to have weaker stems, so they have this thing that looks like a fat straw. And they slide it up on the thing so it actually stays stiff. It's like, God is that for us. He's not going to quench the little bit of the flame, the flicker. He's going to fan that thing into flame. He's going to revive you. He's going to strengthen what's been bruised. Where are you bruised and flickering right now? Can you bring that to him? You aren't impressing God. <laughs> just Let me just tell you that. He's not impressed with us ever. Like he's not... He loves us. We're already his kids. It's not like our actions or how good we did it that day impresses God or another day. He's like, what? This is so shocking that you slipped into this temptation and sin. I'm so surprised. He knows our frame. He knows we're weak. All the strength that's in us is from him, right? Amen? Great. So you just go, I'm feeling bruised and weak right now, Lord. And you humbly come to him and then he revives you and he strengthens you. Otherwise, you're living in pride. You won't get his help. That's a sorry, sad place to live. Don't live there. Bring the, the flickering, bring the bruise to him. Ask him to strengthen you, to uphold you with his victorious right hand. And then you'll be able to help others. And in fact, you'll tell them how it can happen for them in their life. Because you'll help them most by pointing him to Jesus and what you did two days earlier when you were weak and bruised and flickering. 
and you'll remind them by just going to Jesus and praying, getting on your knees, just crying out, getting in the study, getting in some fellowship, just being honest about what's going on and getting the help when you're feeling weak or faint-hearted or idle, and then it starts to revive you. It happened in me. What if every one of us could say, leaving here today and this week, it's actually happened with me. In fact, the craziest thing, it's been happening all month with me. Wait a minute, this isn't a one-time deal. This isn't a come here a great message, make a decision. I'm not gonna be weak anymore, I ask Jesus about it. No, you go every day and you say, God, be my strength today. Help me today. Give me strength for this situation when? Today. You're gonna have another set of challenges tomorrow. Go to him when? Tomorrow. So you should constantly be the fan that gets flamed by God constantly because you're going to him. The bruises are healed and strengthened in the Lord because you're going to him. The needs that you have are being strengthened by God through the other people in the body because you're going to him and you're going to him together. And then you can tell someone else that's been on the sideline or hurting or bruised and flickering, you just kind of do this. Just do this, just welcome them. But if you haven't done that, you can't help them do it. Because where are you? You're on the sideline too. If you hang out with people just on the sideline, it's like, oh, it sucks. We're not in the game, I don't know. Just like the coach, I don't coach, it's the coach. <laughs> you go over and you encourage them. But you go to the Lord first and foremost, so then you can go to one another. See how that makes so much sense? And it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not something you generate in your own excitement, in your own passion. You don't generate this. You rest in the truth that I just declared to you, many truths, and you apply them in the power of the Holy Spirit and you walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Your flesh will be weak and be tempted and impatient and all that junk. And you want to pull from people and pull from God and all that. But as you walk in the spirit, you're strengthened, you're revived, you're becoming who he wants you to be day by day. And you'll be able to reach out with that strength and point other people to him and help them along. Pretty awesome. And then together we fight this last fight. Then together we fight this last fight. We overcome evil with good. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Repaying and retaliation is so nasty. Have you ever been, have you ever gone there? Someone did something to you and you, man, you had it out for them. You're going to retaliate in some way. Maybe it was an obvious way. Maybe it was in front of everyone in the world. <laughs> through Facebook or Instagram or some other way online. Be very careful. Maybe it's by talking about them in front of other people when they're not there. So obviously it's gossip. It wasn't because you were lifting them up because they're a great person. It's a neighbor now you won't talk to, you won't look at, you won't smile, you won't wave, you'll avoid them. Not Christian, not biblical. When you can just say that out loud to God and to yourself, then you go, oh, okay. So I need to like change that cycle. I don't retaliate. I don't repay evil for evil. They weren't kind to me. I won't be kind to them. No, exactly the opposite. Even when they're unkind to us, we should realize that while they're, they probably, maybe they don't have a relationship with God, but I do. Maybe they really don't understand much about grace and forgiveness and getting along and sharing like kindergarten stuff, but I do. So they're not giving it to me, but I will do what? They're not giving it to me, but I will give it to them. They're not giving it to me, but I will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
get past my insecurities and my fears and my, but I was hurt, and that's, you know, and get past that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Until you ask the Holy Spirit to heal your hurts, you won't get past them. Have you realized that yet? Until I did that with my past and people in my past and my parents and the divorce and I've shared some of this, you know, homosexuality was going on, the whole thing. Until I like released it, forgave, had the conversations and asked God to heal the wounds in my life, I couldn't be a tool in someone else's life. I couldn't. So if you're stuck there, ask the Holy Spirit to heal the wound of those parents' word that's, that still just feels like it's plaguing you. It's, it's identifying you. It's this, this, you think it's this blinking thing over your life that, I, that is your banner for living is like, you'll never amount to much. And you just think, yep, that's what they said. So I guess that's the, my reality. No, it's not your reality. And it's not your identity. You're a child of God. He has great plans for your life. And he'll walk you into those. Just keep walking with him. By the power of the Spirit. Where you're hurting, ask for the power of the Spirit. Where you need healing, ask for him to heal you. Where you have negative messages or lies or deep insecurities about your looks or something else, your reputation or whatever it is in your world, give it to God. And when should you do that? Well, okay, you gained an hour today, so I would say now. (laughs) That's when you do it. If you really want to start overcoming evil with good, if there's that lack in you, you say, Lord, now I need to, instead of retaliating out of my hurt, out of what they did or said, I now am healed and strengthened and revived in the Lord. I'm going to give good even when evil comes my way. I'm going to break the cycle of evil in my own heart, in my family, in my neighborhood. I'm going to break the sin cycle in my own heart, in my family, in my neighborhood, at my workplace. I'm going to break the anger cycle. I'm going to break it in the name of the Lord. It's going. It's gone. I'm not living there anymore. Not doing that anymore. I can't keep dragging this in every relationship. Why would I want to do that? I don't want to do that, Lord. I don't want to do that. So you just ask the Lord to break that, right? So, and tell the enemy, right? Resist the devil and he must flee from you. And you sense his involvement or his temptation or his crazy stuff that he does, right? His schemes, you just resist Satan and he'll flee from you and pursue giving goodness in the face of evil. Romans 12, Paul said it there as well. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? That's how we overcome evil, with goodness. We don't pay evil back for evil. You could think that just by ignoring someone, that's that's neither good nor bad. That's just neutral. No, because you're called to give goodness to them. So we're wrong when we just stay neutral and pull back. They're evil, so I just have nothing to do with them. No, you're called to pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. Those are action words. That's being, you're being required by God to do something. He wants you to go be an overcomer where there's any evil in your world by the goodness of God in your life in that situation. So instead of being a nuclear reactor, instead of being a reactor, a nuclear reactor, for some, you become a loving responder. Wouldn't it be great to say, I respond to things, I don't react anymore. I don't have nuclear reactions. I respond as the Holy Spirit lives me, leads me. <clears throat> You've heard that phrase, you know, when catastrophes happen, first responders, right? What does a first responder do? What's a first responder do? They usually get there. Okay, <laughs> that's a start. Problem, emergency, fire, 
accident, flood, whatever the situation is, first responders step up and say, God, right? In, in Christ, spiritually, then we, we would be saying, I need to get there first. I need to try to do something right away that could be helpful. Instead of being a reactor, I need to know that this person may be coming at me because of their hurt, some, something going on in them that I'm not aware of. I need to respond appropriately. Or a situation goes on and I need to initiate some kind of loving action or help in that situation and not react to it, but respond to it. That's how when we see evil, we can overcome it with good. The goodness of God working in our heart and through our heart being a loving responder, a first responder. And then I want to end with this verse in 1 Peter 2, 3. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Remember Jesus' words from the cross when he was given his life for the sin of the world, for the sin of mankind? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't get what they're doing. They have no, no idea they're nailing the Messiah, the Son of God, the very person of God on a cross. But Father, forgive them. They're clueless. That's how we should respond to others. Don't add the clueless thing in there. That, that'll probably offend people. But surely add that compassion and that mercy and that forgiveness to people in situations where evil comes your way or someone's hurt you or said something cross toward you um, or just giving you a, a raised eyebrow or a funny look. Sometimes that's enough. We give kindness, forgiveness, compassion, and mercy, and Jesus is our best example for sure. Let God's patience flow from your heart. We're told that when the Holy Spirit lives in a person, it's like rivers of living water. We were talking about it earlier today, a couple people. It's the Holy Spirit that works in our life, and he's an outgoing spirit. He's not an inward, selfish spirit. When you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you become an outward person. You don't become inward. The Holy Spirit actually changes you to become interested in who you might encourage or stir up or help. Someone's faint and needing some assistance and you go out because the Holy Spirit flows like that living water from your heart out. From not your heart, it's the Holy Spirit. But your heart becomes like the Father's heart and you tune into the hearts of other people, those that know Christ and those that don't yet know Christ. I just love this passage. Man, three verses, could they be any more practical? So let's review. Esteem your leaders highly in love. Encourage, help, and be patient with others. Overcome evil with good. Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't know if you know God personally. You've heard these words and maybe you don't, you know that God through Christ has not overcome your sin in your life, that you haven't been freed from your sin in the darkness of your own heart. You've never asked Christ to forgive you. Well, Scripture is very clear that Christ came not to condemn but to rescue, to come to give you life, to forgive you, and establish you in him for all eternity. You just call out to him. All who call out on the name of the Lord will be saved 
call out in the name of the Lord. We're going to have a prayer right now. It's your opportunity to say, Lord, I need you, the great overcomer, to overcome and forgive my sin and come into my life so that I can then go live to honor you in all these ways. But if you don't know Christ, now's the time right now to just say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I invite you to forgive my sin as I confess it to you. And then whatever else the Lord's put on your heart today, would you just take that to him in prayer and ask his Holy Spirit to make the change in you? And he will. And then be ready for just some incredible opportunities to practice all of this with people in your life this week. At school. On that field. In that classroom. In that workspace. In your neighborhood. In your family. With those toughest people in your neighborhood. Be ready to see what God would do. Travis is going to come on out and he's going to lead us in a couple songs. And this is your opportunity to pray and just seek the Lord, right? Really seek him. We're going to have the prayer team on both sides of the room. Come and pray. Lift any of those needs, any of these. Come to receive Christ. If you haven't already, just now. Um, And as we pray, come and pray with them to do that. So all those things. But let's have a prayer right now. You ready? Father, we're so grateful for your word. It is a lamp to our feet. We would walk in darkness if you didn't instruct us and give us your word and your Holy Spirit. So thank you, Lord. The way is clear. It's lit up for us. Now we need your power to change our human, fleshly tendencies. And if you've identified, if if the Holy Spirit has identified a couple of those right now, just give those to God. You spoke to me today, Holy Spirit, about these areas. I need your forgiveness and I need your strengthening. My flame is flickering and my reed is bruised. I feel bruised in my life, God. I need your healing. Please fan a hunger and desire for you in my life. That's where you're at. Just reach out to him right now and ask him to do that for you. Stir me up, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Give me what I don't have in myself. This isn't me pulling myself up by my bootstraps. It's me relying on you and calling out for you to revive my soul. God, revive me. I need you to this day, every day, but this day right now. This is the one I'm given. Revive this day in me by your spirit. Help me to highly esteem those that teach me in whatever setting. Help me to be patient with all and be helpful to all, encouraging and stirring up others, even as you have me today. If you don't know Christ, just call out to him right now from your heart. Jesus, you came to this world to be the Savior, my Savior. I confess my sin to you, my waywardness, my wrongs. You're a holy, righteous God. I've offended you. Forgive me. I want to walk with you now, God, and be your child. Confess my sin. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life and be my righteousness, God. And lead me now as the good shepherd. Thank you, Lord, that I'm now a child of God. If you prayed that prayer, tell someone that you came with today. Celebrate.
So awesome. So God, we just offer now our praise to you. We'll continue to pray and seek you. These songs are for you, God. This offering is for you. May you be high and lifted up in our hearts during this time.